These are the things that I learned during the 17th week of 2011, April 24th through April 30th. April 24th. Bing gives out a lot of free stuff just for playing games and searching for stuff. Microsoft, when undeterred, has nothing if not utter persistence and faith in products that can often be met with sheer indifference to the general population. Bing, the search engine born out of then-CEO Steve Ballmer's gumption in 2009 at the All Things Digital Conference, was a rebrand of earlier products such as MSN Search and Windows Live Search. Bing was originally created to supposedly help people make better decisions. And I guess you can say that people certainly made better decisions. All throughout the years, despite numerous endorsements, sponsorships, seemingly forced integrations, advertising, and whatever promotion you can imagine, Bing just never quite got the praise nor market share Microsoft thought it deserved. Bing would evolve beyond simply just being a search engine. In addition to adding news, sports, weather, downloadable wallpapers, etc., 2010 brought it an incorporated reward system which would credit you for doing things on the site. Originally known as Club Bing, two words, not one, you could play all kinds of games on the site to earn tickets one could redeem for prizes. The original iteration of Club Bing had all sorts of physical rewards. Prizes included Xboxes, Zunes, gift cards, and all other kinds of swag. You could even get a water filter with a Bing logo slapped right on it if you wanted to. I may or may not have one in my possession to this very day. Use of Bing, of course, encouraged you to stick to using Internet Explorer and the Bing Bar add-on, both of which weren't always the most loved products, especially with alternatives such as Mozilla Firefox and Google Chrome being available. According to a welcome email I received upon signing up on April 25th, Club Bing's mission statement was to introduce you to the benefits of using Bing and we're using games as a fun and different way to do it. That's why every game uses Bing to help you win. Admittedly, it was a pretty good deal. Just play a bunch of mindless flash games and get points and physical goodies for doing so. I understand his marketing tactic, and perhaps this might have worked had Bing not been tied to Microsoft and its 2000s and early 2010s reputation. In regards to public reception, I definitely recall the company churning out a real cold streak of products like Zune, Office 2007, Internet Explorer, Windows Vista, and Windows Phone. Google's portfolio and overall aura in the public eye was quite different in comparison, and Bing definitely wasn't about to upset that. Bing's reward system would change over time, eventually dropping the majority of the physical rewards in favor of more digital gifts, pivoting to raffles for physical products as opposed to direct redemption. To this very day, Bing's reward system is still intact, 
allocating a certain amount of points per day spread across the use of Bing on the desktop, mobile, and via the Microsoft Edge browser, as opposed to the former preferred browser, Internet Explorer. While a good chunk of it is done within the Bing ecosystem, you can earn rewards via the Xbox and by visiting a few other sponsored pages as they come up in the dashboard. Compared to 2011, there are no longer games aside from daily quizzes and rewards for looking at featured articles and pages. One particular feature of Bing Rewards that I enjoy using is the ability to donate a portion of your rewards points to a charity of your choosing. As an example, I have contributed a supposed cumulative total of $84 worth of Bing Rewards points to the CDC Foundation, while keeping enough to redeem the occasional Dunkin' Donuts gift card. Bing as a whole is a strange product that might never truly see the glory that Microsoft believes it deserves. As far back as 2013, there's been rumblings of it severely underperforming in the financial department at Microsoft, yet Microsoft claims the contrary. That being said, at least it tries, and you can get some free stuff out of it for the trouble. April 25th, DVD Studio Pro and formulas in Excel such as Countif with multiple criteria, also known as some product. April 25th must have been a productive day. In addition to actually registering for Club Bing after learning about its inner workings, I also waded into the waters of Apple's DVD Studio Pro, as well as a very specific formula concoction in Microsoft Excel. Like iMovie to Final Cut Pro, Apple had DVD Studio Pro, a professional version of its iDVD Consumer DVD Creation Tool, part of the Final Cut Studio suite. DVD Studio Pro allowed one to dive so much deeper than simple drag-and-drop preset menus and buttons. You were able to create your own fun menu layouts and allow for scripting of animations and events to control the navigation experience. Some notes I have on the application include exporting a frame of a video to use as a desired menu button landing screen. You make a red button in the desired spot, export it to Photoshop so you can flatten it, then import it back into DVD Studio Pro so one could then perform chroma mappings to finish it all up. Making chapter markers was also possible in DVD Studio Pro, but it was noted to be easier if you just did it all in Final Cut Pro due to more easily accessible shortcut bindings via the M key on the keyboard. Supposedly, there was a maximum limit of 18 buttons on a menu, in case you ever needed to know. It was admittedly a bit hokey and difficult to make a DVD menu this involved, and maybe it was a bit of a lost art. But if you wanted to get that crazy, you had the toolset to do so. Both iDVD and DVD Studio Pro ended up being discontinued later on in 2011, and while the products didn't immediately go away, they slowly faded out of the spotlight, and their relevance dwindled as the general need for DVDs 
fell out of favor for the general public with the rise of digital media and Apple's phase-out of optical disk drives in their computers. Around the same time, Apple was starting to go all-in on digital delivery, with macOS Lion primarily being offered via the App Store as opposed to an optical disk, and subsequently introducing digital operating system recovery options as opposed to needing to hold on to the DVD or flash drive. April 25th also taught me some Excel functionality. Unlike the Apple DVD software offerings, this is still applicable in current editions of Microsoft Excel. Count if is a feature of Excel where you can simply count a number of cells that meet a certain criteria. As this thing learned states, I knew how to specify count if with one criterion, but adding another was a question mark for me until this day. According to Microsoft's page on the matter, COUNTIF needs two pieces of input. Where do you want to look? And what do you want to look for? Regarding multiple criteria, the general idea is, when you are composing your formula in the target cell, simply write out the function twice and add them together using a plus sign in between them. Alternately, the formula known as sum product also exists, where you can add up how many cells that equal either another cell's value or value in general. While it is not entirely the same, this is available in the Excel toolkit, and in some cases may prove more valuable than COUNTIF. Pretty neat, right? Similar to our VLOOKUP discussion from April 4th, 2011, file this in your notebook of Excel party tricks to impress coworkers and managers at your place of work if they are impressed by such a thing. April 26th, dual layer masters cannot burn to single layer blanks. DVDs come in a fair amount of configurations. In the simplest of terms, a dual layer DVD contains twice the density of your standard DVD, achieved via reflective layers and leveraged by optical technology that of which I am not even remotely qualified to talk about. To put this into context, I am quite certain that I learned this at the TV station trying to burn a data-heavy DVD master copy to a single-layer blank disc. Some of our film festival DVDs ended up being quite large, depending on how many submissions we would receive, and some years warranted creating a dual-layer master copy, so we only had to burn to one disc which cut down on numbers of discs we had to burn, and solved the issue where we only had DVD cases that housed only one disc each. Our big film festival would be April 27th, so it was pretty critical that we hammer out all of this by then. The general manager had actually sent out an email thanking me for leading up to this effort. Looking back, this seems pretty obvious, sort of akin to trying to copy 16 gigabytes of data to an 8 gigabyte SD card. I remember Super Smash Bros. Brawl for the Wii was a dual-layered disc, which would explain why the loading times were a bit longer in that game, and the Wii's optical drive had to work a little bit harder, as it frequently needed to signal the laser to switch layers on the game disc resulting in loud mechanical noises 
and reportedly more wear and tear on the drive itself, sometimes leading to hardware failures or issues where the laser lens needed to be cleaned. Supposedly, there was an odd correlation with tobacco smoke and Super Smash Bros. Brawl not working, although dust buildup was often the culprit as well. Anyways, that's the story of dual-layer DVDs, and how content specifically written for them cannot be written to single-layer discs, for somewhat obvious, yet not so obvious, reasons. April 27th, Stats Analysis in JMP Spring 2011, the Semester of Probability and Statistics Time to learn some data visualization software from SAS Institute. JMP, pronounced as JUMP, short for John's Macintosh Project, developed by John Saul and rising to prominence in the late 80s and early 90s, is an award-winning data analysis suite that exists for all your trending, graphing, and numbery needs. JMP is maintained by SAS Institute, or SAS, short for Statistical Analysis System. So the class that I took used this software for assignments and orientation on electronic observation of statistics. I remember JMP being brutally difficult to comprehend. Statistics is one of those subjects that I think I'm good at in my head, but when I sit down and really break it down, I find myself to be completely outmatched. It seems that the only notes that I have on this software is that you go into the Analyze menu and select Distribution for getting confidence intervals. According to SAS, one can compute a confidence interval for a proportion or a mean. They say a confidence interval for a proportion is an interval that is computed from sample data, providing a range of plausible values for the value of the population proportion. Meanwhile, heh, pun, they say the sample mean is sometimes called a point estimate because it is only a single value. The true mean of the population is rarely this value. It would be useful to have an interval rather than a single point that we could be relatively sure contains the true mean. If we are 95% confident that the interval contains the population mean, we have a 95% confidence interval for the population mean. Ugh, just reading this stuff reminds me of how terrible I was at understanding this. I did the best that I could to suffer through learning this software, and frankly have not touched nor needed it since. If you're even somewhat proficient at statistics, you are already so much better than I. In fact, a day later, I got an email from the professor of this class reassuring us that JMP was not going to be heavily utilized in the course, and it was indeed quite daunting. This software made me want to jump off a cliff. John, you can keep your Macintosh project. I'm going to go analyze another topic now. April 28th. Hoko still supposedly has grilled cheese sandwiches on Thursdays. Finally, a comfort food topic. Literally, let's get away from statistics and talk about dining hall food and schedules. Hoko is the local abbreviation for its full name of Holloway Commons, 
the largest and most prominently featured dining hall of UNH. This and the other dining halls offered all-you-can-eat buffet-style food for the price of a meal plan. After a while, you notice some common trends like ice cream bar Saturdays, burger bar Mondays, or grilled cheese sandwich Thursdays. I guess it was the little comforts that helped me get through the difficult classes. On this day in particular, I also had a pretty full day from 9am to 4pm, consisting of a radio DJ shift, IT help desk work, and then probability and statistics class, as well as a project group meetup for the same class later on that night. Any break I could get at the dining hall was appreciated. Memories of just catching a breather with food and a phone, reading whatever tech news that I could read, especially the latest on the then-current story regarding the Sony PlayStation Network breach that went on for weeks. I thought I'd have more to say here, but it would mostly just amount to mindless nostalgic gushing over times where I had access to unlimited quantities of food, that of which enabled questionable health habits. If you are in college and have a similar dining system, appreciate while you got it, and trust me, it'll become a valuable memory. April 29th, how to tie a tie. Every few months, years, or when it is convenient, I learn, albeit briefly, how to tie a tie. Yes, I know, it's kind of pathetic, but it's oddly difficult. I tend to not wear ties all that frequently for whatever reason, so it's one of those classic examples where I'm sure I'd retain the knowledge if I performed the task on the regular as opposed to once in a blue moon. I had a tie on to look somewhat presentable for a chapter meeting and trip through the security operations center at an airport for the High Technology Crime Investigation Association something I briefly mentioned in a previous episode. It was a great event, with many presentations about information security, botnets, technology forensics, and report writing, as well as threat analysis, and concluding with a tour of the airport. I remember having to get up quite early in the morning, difficult for college me, and meet up at a spot at 6 in the morning to carpool to the destination. I have distinct memories of poorly timing out not only the wake-up and tie-tying, but also the logistics of having to hike a decent ways across campus to the pickup spot, only to forget something and have to double back, all in dress shoes and formal attire, mind you, and hope that I didn't miss the ride. Not the greatest way to start the day, but it did work out. We concluded the tour with an opportunity to watch planes take off and land just a few hundred feet away from us on the actual airport tarmac. So there was that, definitely worth the price of admission, that being tying a tie. And finally, April 30th, Portal 2, going through a portal with a cube. The weekends are for me. Portal 2 released on April 19th, 2011, and was hotly anticipated, not only by myself, but the gaming community as a whole. To summarize it very briefly, Portal 2 is a first-person perspective puzzle game where you have a gun that shoots portal entrances and exits, 
you must navigate rooms with this utility and go through all kinds of wacky trials. Portal 1 released in 2007 and was an amazing, albeit short, game. Portal 2 amps up the game's length and story content, tying into the greater universe of adjacent sci-fi first-person shooter series Half-Life, made by the same developer, Valve. It was Saturday, and oh boy was I ready to hit this game hard after a tough week and trip involving formal attire in a heavy, secure environment. On April 24th, someone posted a YouTube video regarding how to pass a level with the infamous Weighted Companion Cube from Portal 1, which makes another appearance in the sequel. It just involves some strategic placement and pickup to get it through the Emancipation Grid. However, the game does not let you proceed with it, as it will just disappear once you get to the elevator. Otherwise, I also figured out going through a standard portal configuration while holding a standard issue cube. It just requires some finagling of the angle, that of which you enter the portal and make sure it doesn't just get clipped out of your grip range. Not a super complex operation overall. But that was the general gist of it, going through a portal with a cube. What a concept. And that will conclude this week of Things Learned. Other happenings during this very busy week of 2011, I received an email on April 24th that my high score on Weird Al Yankovic's freshly released song, Perform This Way, was beaten in the PC game Audio Surf by user Saint Beecher. The song was released just days prior, so it was quite popular to say the least, and it was also when Audio Surf was a really popular game on Steam. You can still purchase and download it today, and I really recommend it. It's a really fun game. There's also a sequel, Audio Surf 2, and a spin-off game, Audio Surf Tilt, on the Zune HD, if you still have one of those. The way this game works is you take any MP3 file in your music library on your computer, and it will generate a level that of which you can ride a little car in. And there's a bunch of missions, and you can score points. It's almost a little bit like Guitar Hero in a roundabout way but it's a really fun game and you can spend hours in it. The final exam for my organizational behavior class was on Tuesday, April 26th. Hot, hot, hot by Arrow is forever the anthem of this class. The professor tried to make the class really laid back in almost a bit of a party environment, and he would always blare this song as we were filing into the classroom. Organizational behavior was part of the business school of classes that I had to take at the college, and the atmosphere was considerably a bit different than the computer science IT school that I usually resided in at the university. The whole premise of the class was cool, though. You were grouped into teams, and you had one big project you had to submit by the end of it. The project wasn't overly difficult, and it was more about the experience of working as a team and doing organizational behavior-type activities. Something about corporate synergy or something. Wednesday, April 27th was the big film festival at our TV station, and a lot of work went into making sure this event went off without a hitch. Since I was a member of the executive board of the TV station, not only did I have to submit my own entry, but I also had to help prep for all of the submissions, assist people with editing, exporting, and also help out with producing the DVD, and getting all the marketing material, posters, all the word out 
so we weren't just going to present a film festival to an empty auditorium that evening. It was sort of the final big event of the semester every year for the TV station in the spring. Also, as you might have noticed, working at the TV station contributed to a lot of things learned that you might have heard during this podcast, at least for 2010 and 2011. But aside from that, this was quite an exhausting week as we were getting towards the end of the semester and clearly final exams, final projects, final presentations, and events were ramping up. Just a few more weeks and we'll be at summer break. And speaking of summer break, we are at the end of this episode. Thanks a lot for listening to Things Learned. I really appreciate it and I hope you're having a good week. If you are a brand new listener to this podcast, I thank you for clicking in and having a listen. And if you are a returning listener to this podcast, I again thank you for listening, as always. Check out this podcast's show notes for links to music credits, as well as any interesting research that I looked up in preparation for talking about the things learned this week. If you have any feedback about this podcast, or you would just like to drop a rating, please feel free to wherever you rate your podcasts. I know Apple Podcasts does it, and a couple other platforms might as well. If you know someone that might enjoy this podcast, feel free to let them know. They might like it. Next episode, we begin the month of May, and I hope you'll be back to listen to it. Again, thank you very much for listening to Things Learned, and I'll talk to you next time.